Good morning. I'm happy to be with you this morning, and I appreciate the invitation to come. I'm sorry it's under the circumstances, and Tim's been under the weather. I'm a little intimidated by Tim being out of there, by the way. But I appreciate the trust uh, placed in me by the session and the invitation to be here with you today. You know, I do this a lot, and sometimes when I go to a church, I feel the need to kind of pump the preacher up before the congregation and remind them, you know, what a faithful pastor they have and what a loving guy he is and how he preaches God's word faithfully. I ought to appreciate him so much. I don't feel the need to do that this morning. You know how blessed you are to have Tim and Sarah here had him all these years. What a, what a rich blessing. Hope you appreciate that. Hope you're thankful to God for that. And, uh, you know, I, I encouraged him before the service to go ahead and retire. I see some head shaking. No, I'm, I'm kind of teasing. But you know how blessed you are. Thank you for having me here this morning. Our text is from Matthew chapter 18. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. I'll be reading verses 21 through 35. I am reading for the New American Standard Translation of the Bible. Just an old habit I got into years ago and haven't gotten away from it. This is Matthew chapter 18, beginning of verse 21. As we read, remember this is the word of the living God, holy, inspired, and inerrant. Then Peter came and said to him, that is to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That is the word of God. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we are thankful today that we have this great privilege and this great blessing of coming to worship you together as your people. And I thank you for all that we've done already, hymns that we've sung, prayers that we've offered, confession of faith that we've made. Father, we ask now your blessing upon this particular portion of our worship, that you would bless it, that you would indeed guide us in our understanding of your word. And I pray for myself as I seek to proclaim your word that I would do faithfully and truthfully in a way that ministers to the hearts of your people. And I pray for the congregation that you would open their eyes to see, their ears to hear, and their hearts to receive the truth of your word and grace to apply it as needs might become evident. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus loved to teach in parables and he used that teaching method often. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record over 30 different parables that Jesus told. I'm sure you have heard the simple definition given to a parable over the years, and that is that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That is, parables are stories about life. Stories are, parables are stories about real life situations. And most of the parables are quite simple. And they're teaching methods Jesus used to proclaim and to explain spiritual truths or spiritual realities. Whether it be a woman who lost a valuable coin, a shepherd who had a sheep wander from the fold, a farmer who went out and sowed seed on the soil, or a young man who took his inheritance early and squandered it with loose living. You get the idea. A parable is really a simple story that teaches an important spiritual reality. Not only did Jesus love to teach from the parables, I love to preach from the parables. I would suppose that as I've traveled around the state over the last five years, doing this kind of thing, I've preached more from the parables than any other particular portion of Scripture. The parables provide us what we call a lot of sermonic material. And they also, each one, have a, has a particular application to our lives. Now, some of those applications can be quite personal. And some of those applications can be quite convicting. And I think we'll see that as we go through this particular parable this morning. And when I preach from the parable, there are three things I like to do. First, we'll look at the context of the parable. We'll see why it is Jesus told this particular parable at this particular time in his ministry. Then we'll look at the, at the story of the parable itself. And then finally, we'll try to draw some meaning and some application from the parable as well. So first then, What's the context of this parable? Well, it's found in Matthew 18. That's obvious, and you say, what's significant about that? Well, what's significant about it being found in Matthew 18 is this is the chapter where we find what we call the principles of church discipline. It is in this chapter that Jesus gives us instructions on how the church is to deal with erring members, how you deal with someone who's fallen into grievous sin, and how you deal with someone on a personal level 
that has sinned against you. Well, it was right after that, Peter asked Jesus a question. You know, Peter was the inquisitive one among the apostles. He was really more than that. He was impetuous. He was bold. You know, Peter, due to his personality, would many times ask things without thinking about what he was asking. He would say things before thinking about what he was going to say. And so Peter used this opportunity when Jesus was talking about restoring an erring brother to fellowship to ask a question about forgiveness. The question is found in verse 21, where he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Shall I go up to seven times? Peter wanted to know the outer limits on the requirements to forgive others. And I'm sure he thought he was being generous going all the way up to seven times. You see, the Jewish religious leaders only required that you forgive someone three times. There was a learned Jewish rabbi who said, if a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, do not forgive him. And so I imagine Peter was expecting praise from Jesus for his good heart. But Jesus' response to Peter was anything but praise. We find his response in verse 22 where Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to get Peter to play a numbers game with him. Nor was he setting 490 as the outer limit of the times you are to forgive someone when they sin against you. No, Jesus' point is, there is no limit. That the number of times you are to forgive someone is an infinite number. And there's good reason for that. That's the way God forgives us. Aren't you glad God doesn't limit the number of times he will forgive you? Aren't you glad God doesn't stop it seven times? Aren't you glad God doesn't stop it seven times, 70 times? Aren't you glad God does not keep a record of the number of times you've sinned against him? You see, God doesn't have his little book out writing down every time you sin, keeping a record of it, keeping count of it, so that when you reach a certain level, he says, aha, you've reached the limit. No more forgiveness for you. Don't even ask. You see, God's forgiveness is unlimited. And to make that point to Peter... And to show Peter that his forgiveness of others should be unlimited as well. Jesus told this parable of the unmerciful servant. That's the context. So second, we need to look at the parable itself. What is the earthly story that Jesus told here to teach a heavenly or spiritual lesson? Well, the parable is obviously about a king who called in his servants... The text says, in my translation, 
to settle accounts with them. Now, we don't know what kind of financial arrangements he had with these servants, but he determined it was time to settle accounts with them. Perhaps he had loaned them money, perhaps he had given them cash advances. Regardless of the situation, he realized it was time to clear the books with these servants. Well, one of the servants who came before him owed him 10,000 talents. Now, there's a footnote in my Bible, and you can find it in any commentary, and it says the talent was worth more than 15 years' wages of a laborer. One talent worth 15 years of wages for a laborer. He owed 10,000 of them. An enormous debt. And Jesus used this astronomical number to drive home the point that what this man owed was far beyond his ability to repay. He was way over his head in debt to the king with no way to pay it. And here he is brought before the king to settle his account. Now, I'm sure you can understand something of the anxiety and fear this servant had as he came before the king in such a desperate and destitute situation. I'm sure he wondered what the king would do to him. Well, the king realized that the only option he had was to sell him, his wife, his children, and all that he had and apply that to the debt. He realized that if he was going to recoup any of his money, that was the only way he could accomplish it. Well, when the servant heard what the king was about to do, he fled for mercy. He knew that whatever the king said would happen is exactly what would take place. And so he fell on his face before the king and he said to him in verse 26, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. Now the king knew that was impossible. The servant owing 10,000 talents, there was no way, no matter how patient he was with him, no way he could pay even a fraction of what he owed. But apparently the king was touched by the man's remorse. We're told in verse 27, the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Wow, what a gift, what a blessing, what an amazing turn of events. Even though the man did not deserve it, even though the man did not merit it, even though the man had not earned it, the king forgave him the whole debt. But apparently, right after that, this servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him some money. Now, two things about that. One is, he went looking for this guy. Verse 28 says, But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. You see, they didn't just happen to pass on the streets. He went looking for him. And he found him. The other thing is that what this man owed him was a minuscule amount compared to what he had owed the king. 
But once he found him, he grabbed him by the neck and he shook him and he said, pay back what you owe. But the man didn't have the means to repay. And so he fell down and he begged for mercy. And he said, be patient with me and I'll repay you. Sound familiar? The exact thing that servant has said to the king. Be patient with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling to forgive the man the debt and let him go. And he had him turned over to the authorities and thrown into prison until he could repay. Well, they didn't have cell phones back then to record things, but people saw and people heard what he had done. And they were grieved about it, the Bible says, and they went and reported back to the king what this servant had done. They knew the king had forgiven him this huge debt, and now he had refused to forgive someone else a much smaller debt that was owed to him. When the king heard what had happened, he called the servant back in, and to say he was unhappy would be an understatement. We see what he said to him in verses 32 and 33. Then summoning his lord, he said to him, then summoning him, his lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And then it says that moved with intense anger, he turned the man over to the torturers until he could repay the debt. Well, you know he couldn't repay the debt. So you know what that means. He was turned over to his death. Well, that's the earthly story. Now, third, what's the heavenly meaning that Jesus gives to it? What's the spiritual lesson Jesus teaching us here? Well, this is a kingdom parable. There are several of those in the Gospels. Uh, that's the way Jesus introduces this parable back in verse 23, where he says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. That is, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to what Jesus describes in this parable. This is the way the kingdom of heaven operates. This is the way kingdom people, God's people, are to live. And the comparison, of course, is between the enormous debt that we owe to God that we cannot pay and the generous way God forgives us of that debt. God is likened to the king, and we are likened to the servant. You see, we have this astronomical debt before God, this debt of sin that we cannot repay. And our situation is just as helpless and just as hopeless before God as was this servant's situation as he came before the king, owing such an immense amount of money. 
just like him, we're completely dependent upon the mercy of God for forgiveness. You see, just as he begged for mercy, that's our only hope as well. That's the only way we can ever hope to be forgiven of this enormous spiritual debt that we have before God. And the glory of the gospel is that if we ask for mercy, God will give it. If we ask for forgiveness, God will do it. He has promised that. 1 John 1, 9 tells us, very familiar verse, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How did the king respond to the plea for mercy presented to him by this servant in the parable? Well, again, we're told he felt compassion for him. He had pity on him, and he forgave him the whole debt. You see, dear friends, that's the way God responds to us. The only difference is, in God's case, the debt we owed was not just forgiven. It was repaid. God didn't just write it off as an unpayable debt. But he demanded the debt be paid in full. And that's what the death of Jesus, of course, is all about. Jesus paid our full debt. He paid the price for the full justice of God for our sin. Not a single sin of ours remains. They've all been washed away by the blood of Jesus. It's like the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it. White as snow. So one of the things this parable teaches us is the wonderful grace and mercy of God. He forgives all our sins. He doesn't hold them over us any longer. And that's the richest and greatest blessing a child of God can experience the fullness and the wonder and the marvel of God's forgiving grace. What a blessing it is to know that your sins have been forgiven. They've all been washed away. You know, David is one who experienced the fullness of the blessing of forgiveness. You know, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, but as you know, he was a man with feet of clay. He sinned just like we do, and some of David's sins were significant, especially his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the sin of the murder of her husband, Uriah. It's in Psalm 51 that we find David's prayer of confession. He finally acknowledges his sin to God, and you know those familiar words. He said, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so David had prayed, be gracious to me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That was David's prayer for mercy. And God gave it. 
and God forgave him. And he experienced the blessing of it. And he expresses that in Psalm 32 where he said, How blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose guilt is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How blessed, David said, how happy, how joyful are those who've experienced God's forgiving grace, whose sins have been washed away. But it doesn't stop there. You see, forgiveness is not just on the vertical level and that God forgives us. But it must extend to a horizontal level in the way that we forgive each other. You know, that's, that's the question Peter asked, isn't it? Peter asked the question on the horizontal level. How many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? But Jesus answered the question on the vertical level. That's because the way you and I are to forgive each other is to be a reflection of the way God has forgiven us. God has forgiven us, so we should forgive others. God does not hold our sins against us when we confess and He forgives us. We shouldn't hold sins against others. We shouldn't keep count of the number of times people sin against us because God doesn't keep count of the times we've sinned against him. Jesus said in Luke 6, 36, you be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Isn't that the same thing the king said to the servant in verse 33? Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you, Jesus said in one of the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, that really is the key, I think, to understanding this parable. We're to have mercy on others in the same way God has mercy, had mercy on us. We're to forgive others in the same way God has forgiven us. Now let's be honest. Some of us have a real problem with that. This teaching of Jesus is a real challenge to many of us. Most of us are slow to forgive and slower to forget. We tend to hold grudges, to be resentful, to harbor ill feelings. But see, that's where the power of the gospel is to make a real difference in our lives. It should enable us to forgive others and not hold what they did over their heads. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Indeed, I believe this is one of the most obvious evidences of the life-changing power of the gospel. It doesn't mean that we're saved by forgiving others, but it does mean that we show our salvation 
by the way we forgive others. How do we know that we are saved if we refuse to forgive others? How do we can say we've been forgiven if we refuse to forgive those who sinned against us? The bottom line is, and I think it's taught in this parable, if we don't forgive, we've never experienced and realized the fullness of the blessing of God's forgiveness in our lives. That's what the king told the servant in verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from his heart. One who does not forgive. One who refuses to forgive. Demonstrates he hasn't fully experienced the wonder of God's forgiveness in his own life. And it impacts every area of life, doesn't it? Most marital problems arise from the fact that one or both parties in the marriage refuse to forgive the other. Maybe your marriage is struggling this morning because you or your spouse or both of you are refusing to forgive something that was said or something that was done. In most troubled marriages, there's a refusal to forgive. Most church conflicts arise because someone is unwilling to forgive something that was said or something that was done. You start peeling the layers off of many churches and at the core you can find some hard feelings that go back years, years. Because someone was unwilling to forgive something that was said or something that was done. And usually in churches it's over trivial matters, not theological ones. We're all aware of the many conflicts and tensions in our country today. How many of those conflicts in our culture, what many people are now calling the cancel culture, are due to the fact that people on either side of any issue refuse to forgive the other? You see, forgiveness is the grease that keeps any relationship running harmoniously. And that's what this parable teaches. And it teaches us that reconciliation with others begins with reconciliation with God. Being able to forgive others begins by being forgiven by God. And the more you understand, really understand how much God has forgiven you, how much easier it will be for you to forgive others when they sin against you. Oh, the depth of the grace and the mercy of God toward those of us who are undeserving. And oh, that we would be able to show that same grace and the same mercy to those who sin against us. After all, it is the life-changing power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today that we have these biblical truths before us. That you are a just and righteous God. 
before whom we have this enormous debt of sin. That through the blood of Jesus, our debt has been paid. Our sins have been forgiven. And they're all washed away. Father, may we experience the fullness of that forgiveness today. And may, based on that, we be able to forgive others. And if there be one here this morning who's not yet experienced your forgiveness, oh, Father, would you touch their heart? Would you lead them to confess their sin, to realize this enormous debt they owe to you? And trust this morning in the Lord Jesus to forgive their sins and to wash them all away. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.